and it's good to be here this morning. Let me just say very quickly, uh, I know you may not be aware, I want to keep you abreast of this, but of course Damon Vesey has been struggling, obviously had uh, the coronavirus, been in the hospital now for what, over two weeks? Is that correct? Uh, and it's been a struggle. He contracted pneumonia during this process. He's been in ICU. He's been on a ventilator. They had to actually induce a coma, paralytic drugs, and it, it's been difficult. The ventilator use was up to 80% at one point. They've taken him off the ventilator. He was actually got him off the, out of the coma and the paralytic drugs. He's able to sit up and actually watch, I think, some A&M football, maybe, yeah, and uh, was able to communicate uh, the COVID is gone, correct? They read another, but he's still, uh, he's not out of the woods, obviously, but obviously uh, one of the things that I love about this congregation, it is a praying congregation. I know that we have been in prayer and I believe that God is always faithful and he certainly answered our prayers. So we've got a great deal to be thankful for and I will continue to pray for that uh, situation, uh, Damon, Don, Patsy. Uh, and then, Larry, I haven't. What's the update? What's the latest with Pat? I mean, what's on the breast cancer? What's the latest on your daughter, Patty, on the breast cancer? Okay, so, okay, all right. Well, I think, I know the surgery was complete and there is healing. Is that correct, Jan? Yes, Pam, yes, very good. Amen. Amen. So we do have a lot to be thankful for, and uh, it is good to be here. I know that Tammy uh, misspoke when she asked him what her favorite thing was. She obviously was talking about candy, but she meant me, and uh, so we just don't want you to be con you know, confused uh, about that. It's my job to uh, you know, correct those things. So anyway, right, baby? Yeah. She's, uh, <clears throat> yeah. No, it really doesn't. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Uh, anyway, it is good to be here. I will say this, uh, Rick Dubeck, you know, there's a saying, even a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while, and he's surrounded by beautiful women, and I don't know how that happened other than just, well, God's grace. Uh, but his grandmother, uh, Jewel, has lost her husband uh, this last week in uh, She's had a really difficult move here. She's here. She's surrounded by family and love, and obviously that's good. Uh, and then Jill, uh, Rick's mom, here this morning, uh, Summer Haley. But uh, obviously, Jill, you, you've been in my thoughts, and uh, I know that you are a woman of faith, and um, God will see you through. You've got a family that loves you, and uh, God and His providence will also see you through this. But we obviously keep you in our prayers, too, as well. So it is good to be here. Open your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. The sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Now you have a handout in your bulletin. I want to just say about this handout, this is going to be, by the time we get through this, this is going to be a, almost a, somewhat of a book for you. I'm going to add to it each week. Um, we're going to be sending it out in email format. I also have some stuff on Revelation that I'll be sending out just uh, concurrently with this, just for your own study and reading. So we'll have it available each week during sermon, but I also start sending these out in email as well. Uh, but this has to do with your assurance in salvation. 
I mentioned to you several weeks ago that one of the things that was the most disheartening for me is that in ministry, communicating with people, Christians, uh, who are at the end of their life, they're passing away, whether it's in a hospital, at home, hospice care. And I can tell you the first time it happened, been communicated to me, uh, I would say one would be too many times, but many times over the last three decades in ministry, uh, a dying Christian uh, opening up in those final uh, moments, days, weeks, as their life here on earth comes to an end, communicate very clearly to me that they weren't sure about their standing with God, their salvation. And so uh, it really inspired me personally and spiritually as I'm going through my study. Christ is Almighty was the recent one, all the connection there. That It's important that in really working with our youth too, I, I believe the highest calling of ministry through the service of God to God, to His people, and the ministry of the Word is to clearly convey to God's people, to all of humanity, the assurance that we have, the assurance that we have in the saving work of God. And I mean assurance. I think it would be a tragic thing. I think it is a tragic thing to go to our final days and many have attended church for years and years and sung the hymns and taken the Lord's Supper and, you know, even served in many capacities in a local congregation and to not be sure, to be, you know, I, I, well, am I saved? Has God really saved me? Uh, am I secure in my hope in God? And so it, I don't care how long it takes, but through the ministry of the word, it is my desire to honor God so that in the teaching that you would and that we can be absolutely sure. And so that's really the impetus of this. So in John chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. This is after two great moments in the ministry of Jesus. He's fed the 5,000. He has walked on water. And in verse 26, um, this statement, these series of statements that Jesus makes, John 6, beginning in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me. You seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. I thought about that. Even him, God has set his seal. They said, therefore to him, what shall we do? What may, uh, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, if you were to go to Ephesians in the, in the third chapter, this statement that Jesus makes about the church, that in verse 10, uh, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Uh, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a connection between God establishing the church as Jesus said he would do in Matthew 16. After Peter's confession, he said, Peter, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build it. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so he had an eternal purpose. Now, I just want to say, as we go back to John 6, 
Here's a way for you to map your life. This is what this is about, mapping your life. Part of assurance, the assurance of God saving you has to do with a self-examination. We're going to read a passage in 2 Corinthians about that, but it has to do with a self-examination. I want to ask you, this should be a prevalent thought process, uh, questioning in your own life. Uh, have you mapped your life? I mean mapped it, day one to wherever you're at now. Examine your life. Now, examine it in light of something, but I can tell you, if you believe in spiritual warfare, thank you, Mark, for your thoughts, but if you believe in spiritual warfare, I can assure you, Satan doesn't want you mapping your life. Certainly not in light of a spiritual relationship with God. He does not want that. He'd rather you live aimlessly, uh, just almost vagrantly, rather than to map your life in relationship all the days of your life into the handiwork of God. So God has an eternal purpose. And then Jesus just uh, reiterates this in verse 29 of John 6. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said, therefore, to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may save and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of the heaven to eat. From the book of Exodus, Jesus said, verse 32, Jesus therefore said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which uh, comes down out of the heaven and gives life to the world. This word give, give, give. It's going to be repeated. You can connect that to John 3.16, that for so God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to think in terms of giving, God giving. Okay, so verse 34, they said, therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of the life. Uh, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Listen to this, church. Hear this. All that the Father... Now, I want you to think in terms of assurance. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God has an eternal purpose. How much of your life, if you mapped your life, could you say has an eternal purpose? I would just say it's, it's almost frightening if you step back and look at your life. If you just mapped it, not from the day you were born, but just yesterday got up at whenever you got up, went wherever you went, did whatever you did, spent your time, energy, and effort. How much of it could you say the activity, the thoughts, the hearts, the desires, all the things that I pursued had an eternal purpose? Or were they just temporary? Something to think about. God's purposes are always eternal, and they're eternal. The eternal purpose is of God in his will always has to do with the salvation that comes through Jesus. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. God's purpose, what God gives, what his will is. That all that he has given me, I lose nothing, 
but raise it up on the last day. That's the will of God, an eternal purpose. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about Him because He, he said, I'm the bread that comes out of heaven. And they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one, now church, please hear, hear this. Just really focus on this. Assurance, assurance in the eternal purpose of God for the salvation of humanity through his son. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Assurance in the saving work of God through Jesus Christ. I, in the handout that I'd given you a couple of weeks ago, and in this one here it starts, about biblical salvation 101, there's a statement. God saves through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's all you need to know about salvation then the how-to, the reality of it, the function of it, the sovereignty of it is, is revealed in Scripture. Okay. Now, I, last week, uh, I had mentioned to you uh, the assurance that we can have concerning our salvation in relationship to the character of God, the nature of God, the will of God, the heart of God, the desire of God. And I use four passages of Scripture. They're on the second page. You know, we read in Romans 5, verses 1 through 10, and specifically verse 6 and 8, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I don't know, and I mentioned that. If you could just pick out any person, who would it be? But I have to tell you, I don't know anybody. I do not. I absolutely do not know. I do not know anyone that ultimately would die for the ungodly. I truly don't. I just don't. He even says, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. For a good man, maybe, but not for the ungodly. There's assurance in that. Romans 8 and 28. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered, us, uh, delivered him up for us all, how will we not also with him freely give? Uh, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So sparing his own son. For who? The ungodly. Assurance. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But God, again. Romans 5 and 1, 10. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. It's Romans 5. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ungodly sinners. Now he wouldn't spare his own son. He wouldn't spare his own son. And in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, specifically verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 11, specifically verses 8 and 9, don't let this one fact escape your notice. You map your life. The assurance of God, the assurance we have in the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, mapping your life. Don't let this one, this is a designation on the map you ought to have, uh, you ought to have it pinpointed. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is, a th is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some would count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, I, I just want to say to you, that's the character of the nature, and that's just a handful. That's just a handful. I'm going to be adding some verses for you in your own personal study that elaborate uh, that there's harmony in Scripture, there's a systematic theology and a harmony in Scripture that mirrors Genesis through Revelation, these statements about who God is, His nature, His character, His desire, His will, as He saves. But these, I use these four. And uh, so um, this verse 37, John 6, 37, it's there um, in your deal. Uh, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Uh, John 6, verse and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And then this verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one. No one. Um, I'm just going to ask you something. I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I'm a leaky vessel. You may not be, but I am. I believe in those dying moments of our life. I don't care how much church attendance, what it is, or you know the things that you may have served in light of motivation because of being a professing Christian, um, or whatever it is. If you if you had anything to do with it, if you had anything to do with it. There's going to be doubt. There will be doubt. Doubt's going to come. It just will. And so I look at this statement, and this is a starting point. If you're a Christian today from the mouth of Jesus, you couldn't have, there, it's not even possible. There's nowhere in Scripture that says if you map your life as secularly and in relationship to what Scripture teaches, there's nowhere in Scripture that you can find a truth that says that you came to Jesus on your own. Can't do it. Not, and if you think there is, please, you cannot do it. Every, if you're a Christian, the very first thing that happened, the writer of Chronicles says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the world, seeing whose heart is it. That person God will strongly support. So God in his sovereignty and his power and his wisdom and his character and his nature and his will, he's determined. Jeff Plotz over there, it's hard to believe. You know, you just determine. This one here, and so now I'm going to send him, I'm going to give him, and I'm going to draw him to my son. You had nothing to do with that. If you're a Christian today, you did not send yourself, you weren't drawn in your flesh, there's nothing in your flesh the, the struggle that we have as earthly beings, unspiritual beings, dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, nothing that would draw us to God. The righteousness of man, uh, Isaiah would write in Isaiah 66, is a filthy rag under God. Even if you had a moral inclination based upon whatever culture has taught you, it's ungodly, according to the Word of God. It's a filthy rag. So if you're a Christian today, God has sent you, he's given you, sent you, and drawn you to his son. Think about that. Assurance, assurance, assurance. Now map your life. This is where it gets good. This is where it gets good. I said, so uh, 
So then these truths should lead us to a what? Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5. Church, this is the meat of this lesson. 2 Corinthians 5. If you believe that God has sent you and given you and drawn you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, the assurance that comes from that, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians, uh, what did I say? 2 Corinthians 13. Well, I might have said five. It says 2 Corinthians 13. Uh, let me get there. 2 Corinthians 13. In verse 5. Your translation may say, examine yourself. The real, the word Greek there is test. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Once again, I don't believe in coincidence. Tammy's lesson, Mark's lesson this morning. Uh, do not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. The first test question is, how did you get to Jesus? The first biblical answer is, God sent you, he gave you, and God drew you to him. Now, church, I want to give you, I really believe that this is a great spiritual gift from Scripture. Because Satan doesn't want this for you. But I've started this conversation with these young kids. Go back to the day you were born, when you were born. Test yourself, examine yourself. Now, do this. Start seeing everything in your life through the giving, sending, and drawing power of God. I want you to do that. Satan doesn't want you to do that. I hold preachers. I absolutely do. Now, you, we all have a personal responsibility. We've been told to examine these things ourselves. Be ready in and out of season to give a de defense for what you believe. But it's amazing to me the number of Christians that I've met in my journey that don't even conceptually, spiritually have, that don't, that's never, they don't go through this process. It, I almost believe it's a very lazy, self-absorbed, gospel that has been preached. That it's just almost like M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-C. -E that, it's, that it's just uh, a handful of verses that pretty much uh, make us feel pretty good about ourselves, give us a very shallow understanding of the salvation of God, and then ultimately, because we're leaky vessels, there's no real assurance in it. But if you can do this, if you can understand the character, the nature, the personality, the will of God, and I gave you those, just those four verses, and then you can understand the how-to, the how. So I think if I were to ask you this morning, if you believe that no one can come to me, Jesus says that no one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
and I'll raise him up on that last day. It, and then it is written in the prophets, and I put this in bold, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now there's the first map. Now do this. This will be a great exercise for you. I'm so thankful that I had teachers that could lead me uh, in this understanding through the systematic theology, covenant theology that's in Scripture. I'm so thankful. When you begin to realize, and you've heard me use this term if you've been here any time at all, there's no coincidence. And you begin to see your life in an eternal purpose, not a secular purpose. Well, I've got to go to work. You know, we've got bills due on the 5th. Oh, man, I've got this meeting coming up. Uh, you know, we're busy, busy, busy. You know, we don't even have time for a vacation. Can't even afford a vacation. You know, oh, my, then there's, I'm getting older and my health is bad. And, you know, man, my family is, you know, my wife's upset about this. And I don't have that problem. But um, so, some of you listening. Uh, so anyway, you move forward from there. And it's all temporary. It's just temporary. It really is. Solomon calls it vanity. But what if you could step back and you could start to see Today is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. What if you could say, okay, I have breath today. The sun is coming up today. The birds in the air so that I can hear them. I can hear Larry's cows over there. I can hear those cows over here. I, I, last night, Larry, I got to tell you something. We were watching the Trump rally on TV, and Trump made a statement. Believe it. Yeah, he makes statements. Uh, made a statement, and... Uh, Tammy said, I think there were some booze. I said, no, there weren't booze. That was Larry's cows. Those were moos. That's the truth. We did. We sat right there. And, uh, but if you could start to map your life from the reality of, oh my, not a second, a moment, an hour, nothing is taking place in my life that isn't absolutely clearly related to the sovereign God Holy God, who wouldn't spare his own son, who would ha have his son die for the ungodly, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And Jesus making a statement, and so I said, that's God. God is sending me. God is drawing me to his son. Now, I've just begun this. I'm not going to do, I'm only going to do one of them today, but I've started to create a list here. And we're going to, I want you to be absolutely sure. I want you to be so sure because you can be sure because it's God's word in his scripture about how God draws us, sends us, and how he does. And then when you see the map of your life, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Paul would write, even the circumstances in Philippians, he said, listen, don't, he's in prison. He's been illegally convicted or, or held, illegally arrested illegally, falsely charged. He's a prisoner on his way. Hopefully he wants to see Caesar make a defense. He's a prisoner, this once proud young Pharisee. Uh, man, a Roman citizen. All the laws have been violated. He's separated from the people that love him. His health is failing. And he says, I want you to be aware. Don't be concerned about me. Do not be concerned about me. The circumstances in my life, listen, let me tell you about them. Even members of the praetorium, my guards are being, they're hearing the gospel and being led to Christ. Only the assurance that comes from the reality that, you know what? I can see every moment of my life. 
I can see my sin, disease. I can see struggle, tribulation. I can see everything as part of the map that God has designed in my life to draw me to Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. Then you move from Solomon's standpoint of it's just all vanity to Paul's standpoint is to live as Christ and to deny his gain. If I go on living, I'm going to serve him. Even wrongly convicted and wrongly accused and wrongly held, I'm going to serve him. But if I die, how much better I get to go be with him. Now there's a difference. There's two different. There's the assurance in the saving God, in, in, in the sovereign saving power of God based upon this love that we can't even fathom and the dread that comes from a life that is, oh my, everything's temporary. There's not enough time in the day. There's not enough love in my family. There's not enough money in the bank. There's not, and just about the time that I think I've reached a peak, oh man, I'm at the top now. Oh, I'm running the company. Oh, the house that I wanted is bought. Oh, man, the IRA is looking pretty good. Hmm. It's not enough. It's not enough. Political climate's changed. Stock market fails. Health becomes an issue. And all that work and all that assurance in temporary things is vanity, no matter how good you think it can get or you've even experienced. So we're only going to do one and it'll be quick. I have to spend a lot of time on it. The very first thing, you know, how does God draw, lead, sin, draw us to Jesus Christ? I just, number one, the creation. When you map your life, how temporary or casual do things seem to you? How momentarily fun does something? Oh, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Oh, the vacation's over. The white, beautiful sands and the crystal blue water and the majestic mountains. So, Got to go back. Go to Romans chapter 1. Now, start mapping your life. Start doing what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13. Romans chapter 1. Now, I've only picked out a handful. Mark, you're going to especially love when we get to the issue of music. You really are. The powerful medium that God uses in music to draw us. There's no coincidence. Okay? I'm not talking about rap music, though. I, I prefer, you know, the two kinds of music that I prefer are country and western. That's not going to draw you either, maybe. I don't think. But the music, it's powerful. So Romans chapter 1. I, I, listen to this. And by the way, you know what the book of Romans is about? The entire book is about one thing. The entire book is about no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's Paul's treatise about that statement Jesus made. The entire book is 
the character, the nature, the personality, the will of God as exactly how he draws, sins, draws, and gives people the son. So this is, this is an opening chapter. He says, uh, verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. That's in Habakkuk. Well, we're going to talk about Habakkuk in weeks to come. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, from heaven. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which was known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. How? Having been understood through what? What has been made so that they are without excuse. That's just an opening statement. Let that, there, your map, okay? I mentioned us having coffee this morning. The map of your life, the assurance that comes in the saving nature of God. Just start with the creation. Now go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Now, I don't know uh, the birds in the skies and the lilies in the field and all those things. Jesus taught about them. In fact, I asked the kids this morning, hey, if you go through the parables of Jesus, how much of them have to do with the creation? Over and over again. I particularly like that moment in Christ where he comes into Jerusalem. He looks out. He laments. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where I mother hen that you, I could draw you with me. All you have to do is look at the creation. We've got a yellow, one of them big old black yellow banana spiders. And uh, tell you how much grace has grown in me. It's right there at the corner in the house uh, between where you go in the back gate into the house. And uh so years and years ago, I was weed eating. This has to do with the credit. It really does. I'm weeding. I'm in my 20s, maybe 25, 20. I'm weed eating in San Antonio. This is how vivid this is about. So I've got my head down. I'm weed eating. And I walk face to face with one of them big black yellow banana spiders. I mean, right here. Now, I'm ashamed to admit this to you, but I'm going to. I screamed. I threw the weed eater up. And I fell down. And I, 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 I screamed probably in a very effeminate way. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I did. And I sat there and I looked at it and the weed eater, you know. And nobody, the first thing I did was, did anybody see this? I don't want that happen. You know what? I killed that spider. I destroyed that spider. I killed him with wrath in my heart. Now, there's a spider right over there. And I ain't going to kill him. I'm not going to kill you, know, because I figured he's just, I figured something, he's more scared of me than I am him. And I can prove it because the web goes down to the deal and we have a little drawstring. And every time I pull that drawstring, he goes up the deal. He ain't going to hurt me. But in it, and I'm not being lied, I'm not trying to make lie. You know, you ought to see the evidence of God, whether it's the birds in the air or the banana spider or the, the grass, the changing of the seasons, the death, burial, and resurrection that we have in the fall, the clouds that we see. But in, so in Colossians, so he makes a statement in Romans, and then in Colossians, this is what he says about his son. The assurance that comes. Listen, verse 13, For God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. God didn't just create all this for you and I to temporarily live on it with no concept of Him. 
The creation is evidence of the glory of God and that work that he did through his own son. For by him, verse 16, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. The only reason that you and I are on this planet spinning, I don't know how many miles, I used to forget, tilted at the right axis, gravity increasing or developed because of that, and the number of the stars in the heaven is because Jesus Christ willed it, thought it, spoke it, believed it, and created it. And it is only being held together by Him. Well, we ought to wake up every morning and say, if I don't know why I should have assurance, I ought to know as I'm on this spinning rock. And it's Him. And He did it to His glory. Now, go with me to, uh, let's go, here's some child, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, the assurance that comes to the saving work of God as God draws us to Jesus. Matthew 16, this powerful statement that Jesus makes, verses 1 through 4. Jesus was always being challenged, and Matthew 16, and challenged by people that should have known better, challenged by people who their assurance came from the, you go to Matthew or Luke chapter 18. Here's what false assurance does. This is what false assurance in your ability to be right before God does. You have a Pharisee in the temple. And what is he doing? He's in the temple before God. Thank you, God, for not making me. Oh, so I'm giving God creating me like other men. Because I have assurance in myself. I tithe even 10% of the smallest amount. That's not the assurance that we're talking about. But you can see the assurance, the false assurance in themselves that the Pharisees and Sadducees had. Chapter 16, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up testing him. You ought to do the etymology in the word testing in Matthew 16 and then 2 Corinthians 13. So, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing him. Theirs was a deceitful test. Asking him to show them a sign from heaven but he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there'll be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? It's only an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And a sign will be given it, uh, will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them, and he went away. That's the opposite of being drawn and sent and given. He left them. He left them and he went away. You, you will never, I don't believe it's possible to be drawn to God with deceit in our heart, testing him like a fool, even with the evidence in front of us, overwhelming evidence. When we do that, if that's in our heart, based upon temporary self-assurance. The saddest part of that teaching is this. And he left them and went away. In spite of all the evidence. Do one more. One more. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 12. I suggest you read Genesis 9 and Psalm 148 on your own. These are just a few. I'm going to be adding to these for your own personal study. Go to Luke and chapter 12. Jesus taught so much and many things that he taught about the end times. There'll be earthquakes, famines, 
wars, rumors of wars. I mean, he, it's God's creation. And Luke, in chapter 12, verse, uh, again in verse 54, he was also saying to the multitudes, and by the way, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 49. Because I don't know what your image of Christ is. My personal opinion is the church has been weakened by a very biblically incorrect or incomplete imagery of Christ. This ought to clear it up for you. If Jesus is, uh, he's, he's my friend. Or you, so, well, he is. He should be. He certainly can be. But do you believe in Jesus' light or Jesus the light? Do you believe in Jesus' light, L-I-T-E, or Jesus as light? So here's some light from Jesus, verse 49. I have come, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. He's speaking of his death. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? I tell you, no. No. Not temporary secular peace. The peace that scripture does describe him as is eternal spiritual peace. But I didn't come to accomplish, to grant peace on earth, I tell you, but rather division. That's not Jesus, L-I-T-E. That's Jesus, L-I-G-H-T. From now on, five members of one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Not my words. Those are his words. And he was also saying to the multitudes, so there's a group here. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it'll be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? And why do you not even on your own initiative, judge what is right. This is God's people he's talking to. These are the Bible believers of the day. I asked Don Vesey. I had to get on a flight recently, and I was reminded of something, that when the plane takes off and it lands, it goes through some clouds. And if you, I don't like that. That old plane starts to bump it, you know. And then it gets up and the clouds are down there and it's smooth sailing. I don't know how that works. Don does. And he explained to me in a very simple way how that works. It is amazing to me. It really is. I don't believe in coincidence. Now I understand. It's good. But what about you and I? You want the assurance of a God that saves even sinners? And, and you want to know how God draws you to him in that assurance? 
All you have to do is start with the creation. That's all you got to do. That's just a tiny little part of the map. And when you and I learn how to map our lives from God's word spiritually about the drawing power of God, let me tell you something. You can sing Blessed Assurance and it won't be a nice hymn. Mm. It'll be the truth of God as he saves us through his son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be called your children. We're thankful that the overwhelming eternal evidence of you is everywhere. We are surrounded by it. I pray that just as you have challenged us, that we have eyes to see and ears to hear, that you'll create that in us in such a way that no matter what comes our way, no matter what earthly temporary trauma that we're faced with, that we will grow in the abundant, assured knowledge of your character and your person and your nature, and we'll have assurance as we look out and we see the lilies of the field, the birds in the air, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Father, we love you. We're so grateful to be called your children. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We now reverently and with humility 